Hey everybody, welcome to the New Market Alliance Church podcast, where you're invited to not just attend church or watch church, or in this case, listen to church, but actually go and be the church. For everything you need to know about our community, be sure to go to newmarketalliance.ca and maybe even drop us a line to let us know you're listening. We read everything you send and we'll be sure to get back to you. Our worship service happens every Sunday at 10 a.m. in person or streaming online. We want you to know you absolutely matter to God and you absolutely matter to us. Everyone is welcome and wanted. Now, let's join today's teaching. We're in this series um, on how Christmas has been kind of co-opted a bit by the culture. Even as Christ followers, we have at times adapted more to the rhythms of the world than proudly owning this amazing origin story, uh, the reason for the season, if you will. And the, the goal of this series is hopefully to get super practical, to authentically live out our faith through the holiday season that's increasingly getting associated with buying stuff and busyness and pressures on our finances and our time and you know even about uh, some ambiguous spirituality about the the spirit of christmas whatever that is and uh, last week we looked at how you can keep christ in your celebrations your 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 decorating your activities your traditions because it's easy to, um, to get Jesus lost in Rudolph and Frosty and Santa and Ralphie. You'll shoot your eye out. That's a great movie. Love that movie. Today we're going to look at how to be countercultural as we get together. In other words, how you can keep Christ in your Christmas gatherings, family get-togethers, over the hills and through the woods to grandmother's house we go. And uh, how do we maintain the Jesus way when we gather with in-laws, for instance? Some of you may wonder why we even need uh, to talk about this, which tells me uh, you're not married. Um, (laughs) I read this from a group of family therapists. These were uh, apparently some of the biggest lies that people tend to tell themselves before marriage. And they're all about in-laws. Here here they are. Things will get better with my soon-to-be extended family after we're married. Uh, Things will get better after they get to know me. Things will get better once I have a baby. Uh, If I do what they want, they'll have to like me. Uh, They're not my parents, so how much can they bother me? They live in another province, so we won't have to deal with them very much. Uh, My partner will always put me first. Oh, bless their sweet, sweet, clueless hearts, right? Uh, But maybe, maybe you are married, and you're still saying, this isn't an issue for you. Maybe you have just a perfect family, and every get-together is stress-free, everybody's going along to get along, and everybody wholeheartedly supporting your faith decisions, and everybody agrees with how you're raising your children, everybody likes each other, everybody going with the flow, chillaxing, everybody leading healthy, balanced, sane, functional lives, everybody happy, no matter how you voted. Um, That may be your reality. 
And so I guess um, for, for those three people, um, <laughs> you are welcome to leave now, uh, grab a coffee at Timmy's, and just uh, talk about how awesome your families are. I would say, though, you might be the exception to the rule. Um, the Wallers may be perfect. Uh, I, I think they might be. They're sitting together, though, which I just find just a great example of in-laws getting along. Most of us don't live in that world, though, and some of y'all in this room look at uh, Christmas season and see an upcoming train wreck, and you're just praying that you'll get through it without uh, losing your salvation or possibly murdering someone. And I recognize this wasn't God's original plan for the family, but for some of you, your family is not something to be enjoyed, but endured. Uh, not something to be celebrated, but survived. You're, you're, you're not looking forward to when they come, you're looking forward to when they leave. Or when you can leave. And I know, talking to some of us, um, uh, as a, as a person of faith, even, in a family of mixed beliefs, it, it can be awkward, antagonistic even sometimes. You, you want to present Christ to your extended family. You want to share your faith with relatives, but it's like they are sometimes the hardest people on the planet to do that with. And you want to model Christ uh, and a, a Christ-like spirit of joy and patience and love, a non-anxious presence. But it's like they push every button you have. And, and sometimes it's way easier to stay Jesus-y on a two-week mission trip to Haiti than it is during a two-hour dinner with your family. So how do you keep Christ in your Christmas when it comes to relatives and reunions and work parties and trips back home. If I said I can solve your years of family dysfunction in the next 20 minutes and you believed me, I'd also tell you about some Florida real estate property that I have that I've been looking to <laughs> unload. But here's what we can do. We can talk about some basic wise biblical strategies. So to do that, I, I want to look at three common types of people that we have to learn to react to. And we'll look at what the Bible says about how to react to these three types of people. And I'm going to use a movie or a TV clip to introduce each type. And so um, here's the first one. You may, you may recognize this type. You remember Ruby Sue? Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Her eyes aren't crossed anymore. That's something, man. She falls in a well, eyes go cross. She gets kicked by a mule, they go back to normal. I don't know. It's, it's annoying, right? That's, that's the first type. And that's the person we'll, we'll just call the allergy. So with the allergy, uh, just come out for a second. Oh, there he is. Oh, cousin Eddie. Yeah, no, it, yeah, it's good, it's good to see you as well. Uh, why don't you have a seat there, Eddie? Uh, we're going to call this, this fella the, the allergy. And uh, 
It's how you can feel, right? This is a person that you're allergic to. They drive you crazy. They drain you. They are not, look, they are not a bad person. They don't do anything scandalous. It's just the way they talk and the way they eat and their mannerisms. And they can be loud and they can be obnoxious and they can be juvenile, maybe arrogant. They might meddle in everything. Uh, Let me show you how to cook, uh, how to clean, how to decorate, how to raise your kids. And, and, And you are fine with them in theory. You love them even. But in practice, uh, you're allergic. They make you sneeze. Now, you know what a sneeze is, right? It's, it's the body's physical attempt to expel something irritating. And so it's the reaction of getting something out of your system. It's about distancing yourself from it. Now, these people are the allergen, and your emotional reaction is to sneeze, to to react negatively, to let them irritate you, um, to breathe them in so much that you almost can't help but get you know, a raging case of hay fever. So what's the coping strategy here? Um, I'm afraid you may not like it. Um, first, you gotta realize that they aren't the real issue. It's not about Cousin Eddie. Who's it about? It's about you. You see, everyone has different allergies. You may be allergic to something I'm not. You may react to pollen or ragweed or something else you may be fine with. So remind yourself that the problem isn't the person. They just happen to be your allergy. You can't help it. They can't help it. Don't make them out to be bad, inherently evil, or for that matter, don't beat yourself up about it either. See, we have this dark tendency to justify our allergic reaction by vilifying someone, even tearing them down to other people so that, you know, so that we feel good about ourselves in terms of, of our allergy. It's not just me, right? And, and then second, take a Take a stiff dose of allergy medicine before you interact with them. And here's what I mean by that. Straight from the teaching of Jesus. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. Snap. Jesus, why you gotta hit home so hard? If all you do is love those who are easy for you to love, you haven't really loved. The, the, the love Jesus calls us to model is a choice. It's an act. It's not a natural or logical reaction. It's unnatural, actually. It's a decision. So when it comes to people you are allergic to, remind yourself that the call on your life is to rise to the level of love. And it's gonna take intentional effort on the front end, like, like praying on the front end for God to help you love them, to help you be patient with them, to give, you, to give you strength that you don't have. Ask God to help you be Jesus to them. And, and then also uh, be smart, be street smart, street smarts. 
This is, this, is, this is me talking now, not Jesus, but God calls us to love the unlovely. It doesn't mean we can't keep our visits short and sweet. You don't have to go and stay for a week. Uh, make it a few days. Maybe it's a few hours. Monitor your endurance and leave before you're tapped out. Uh, you know, it is so much better for three or four short visits a year that reflect Jesus than one, you know, two-weeker that ends with um, a body in your trunk. Um, so that's the, that's the first person that we face, the, uh, the, the allergy. Uh, watch your screens. Here's the second kind Hi, of... Hi, welcome to another edition of Between Two Ferns. My guest today is Paul Rudd. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Some people have it all. Looks, talent. How does it feel to only have looks? Now this is a, uh, an extreme version of a person we call a troll. Um, could, could I have a troll uh, come out, if that's okay? Uh, yeah, you, troll. Oh, here he is. <laughs> He's got the troll hair and... Uh, He's, he's just a bit hard to take. He's a troll. So I'm going to put this on you. Now, you've heard of, this is a kind of an internet term um, for boomers. I'll explain. This is a slang of troll is someone who goes online, purposely posts something. Would you please see? Just, ugh. Uh, purposely posts something egregious or inflammatory or off topic or just tries to provoke people into an emotional response. They're trying to pick a fight to incite emotions, to get a reaction. They want to lure you to the dark side. It's how they get their kicks. I deleted tweet Twitter last week because I wasn't sure if I was getting trolled or becoming a troll. Either way, I think my, my mental health was suffering. And uh, a lot of families have trolls. Someone who loves to push a button, get a reaction. Uh, they know you're a liberal, so they say something snarky about Trudeau, uh, or, or, or show you the latest polls, or say something about blackface. Or maybe they know you're a vegetarian, so they purposely bring a meat dish to the party. Or, or maybe they know you homeschool, and so they talk about how awful it is for socialization. Or maybe they know you're an Oilers fan, and they... <laughs> They say something really cruel about Easy. Jack, Easy. Jack Campbell, oh. soupy. Um, or maybe you're both mothers and they, they get into mommy shaming. Can I, can I confess uh, something to you? Would it, would it surprise you to know that, that I can be a bit of a troll? See, now that's hurtful and... Um, <laughs> No, I guess no one is surprised then. Um, Vicky's side of the family is American, and by and large, Fox watching Republican Americans. And back when the subject of politics was actually something we could, we could talk about without losing our religion, I'd, uh, I'd just come into the room with them all and go, so how about that Barack Hussein Obamacare, am I right? And just watch... <laughs> Watch it explode. It was, it was beautiful, yeah. Uh, 
and then just go, my work here is done. But, <laughs> but where trolls can be the worst is when it comes to religion, your religion, your faith. Some of you are the only Christians in your family. And, and I, I know most are respectful, even sympathetic, but there's one outspoken atheist or agnostic who loves to just pull your chain about Jesus or the Bible. You really believe this stuff? You re- the whale swallowing the guy and the animals in the ark and the sea parting and I don't know, anybody with half a brain can believe that. Uh, science has proven, you know, the Bible's full of it and it's just a money-making scheme and uh, a bunch of phonies and hypocrites and just an emotional crutch for, for weak people. So, so what do you do with that? My first thought is you invite me and Don Waller to your gatherings, and we will tag team a smackdown intellectual assumptions that will make them cry. Just kidding, that's what I wanna do. Here's my real advice, you ready? Don't take the bait. Don't feed the trolls. Um, it will just egg them on. It will throw gasoline on the fire. They don't want an honest debate or conversation. They are trolling. So don't lock and load, deflect and defer. Take the soft reply approach, which is what the Bible recommends. For example, here's what the great wisdom book of the, of the Bible, Proverbs, has to offer about those inflammatory conversations. Here's what it says. A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. Have you found that to be true? I have. So when they bait you, you might say something like, well, I, I'm sure a lot of people would agree with you, uh, but it but it has been helpful for me, my faith. And, and by the way, where'd you guys go on vacation last year? You see, like, don't take the bait. You say, and I want to say, well, that's no fun. Well, then you're trolling right back, aren't you? And it's going to be a very unmerry Christmas. And you say, but I can't leave it unanswered. Really? Why not? Let's go back to Proverbs. Proverbs 17, it says, a truly wise person uses few words. Even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouths shut, they seem intelligent. By not taking the bait, you'll look secure enough in your convictions and beliefs that you don't don't need to respond. So that's first. But second, determine if they are really trolling or testing, and those are two very different things. Trolling is when they have no other agenda but then to push your button, yeah. And uh, testing is when they ask you something uh, that may seem to be confrontational or combative, but it's not, They're, they're testing. Meaning they wanna see if there is a reasonable answer from a reasonably intelligent person about something that they've always wondered about. And, and, and they don't want to own that, so they go into debate mode. And, and I would encourage you not to dodge that one. Uh, if you can enter into a sane, healthy, good faith conversation about Jesus, do it. You gotta discern though, is this a troll or a test? 
Um, that's what you pray for is opportunities like that. So if they're just floating a trial balloon out there to see if there's any kind of substance to your, to your beliefs at all, that's an occasion worth rising to. And again, this is the Bible's counsel as well. Look at this verse from 1 Peter. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the hope or to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Now, uh, you might be thinking, what if I don't have an answer? Um, what if it gets deep and intense and they raise questions that you, you just don't have the answer for? That's okay. Just, just be honest. Tell them that's a great question and, and you don't know the answer to it, but you're going to do your research and, and think on that and wrestle with it and promise to get back to them. And then you go talk to Don Waller, okay? And, and there's one thing you can always offer them, one thing that will always ring true uh, and, and provide thought for them, and that's your story. We, we talked about it this summer. You can always say, look, here's what I know. Jesus rocked my world. He, he changed my life. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship. And I have, I have one with Christ. And it's changed everything. You know, that is not only the unanswerable argument. It is the most authentic and the most compelling. Um, let's talk about one more person. Uh, I don't know if I'm speaking to a younger generation. Do you remember the Muppet show from the 70s? There was one guy who just show up at the last minute and, well, anyways, watch this. Hit the dirt! That's one of the reasons I always thought the Muppets were weird. Why's that? They think explosions are funny. I don't know if anybody remembers the name of that character. It's Crazy, Crazy Larry, I think. Crazy Harry? Anyways, the, the, our families can have bomb throwers. Let's bring out our bomb thrower or a disruptor. Here she, oh, come on. It's okay, yeah. Yeah, uh, okay. Just, you, no, you sit. Just keep your distance. All right, we have a bomb thrower in, in almost every workplace, every family. They come crashing into your life a lot of times at holidays or weddings or some other gathering, they bring all their dysfunction with them. They bring their addictions. They bring their financial problems. They bring their need for money, their, their trail of broken relationships, their lack of control over their kids, their problems with authority or the law, their, their, codepen their codependencies, their... You get the point, right? They come like a whirlwind of chaos in your life. I, anybody have those people in your life? You don't want to raise your hand because you're sitting beside one. I understand. <laughs> um, and I'm not even saying it's necessarily a conscious choice. Sometimes it might be, but they tend to leave a trail of destruction wherever they go. Um, now, this is delicate, I know, because they are family. But this is the best counsel I can give, and it's, it's all summed up in one word. You ready for it? 
Boundaries. Boundaries. Life-changing word. One of the most influential and important books, I think, in modern Christendom, uh, psychologists Henry Cloud and John Townsend write about boundaries. You know, they say just as homeowners set up these physical property lines around their land, uh, we need to set up mental, physical, emotional, spiritual boundaries for our lives. Boundaries help you determine what belongs in your life and what doesn't. <laughs> and and um, they help protect you from harm and abuse. They keep the good in. They keep the bad out. You know, erecting a boundary is not about you know, select times when you don't have to love or you don't have to forgive. I hate to tell you, but you, you are always called to love and to forgive. That's the Jesus way. But it doesn't mean we have to allow ourselves to be victims, to be taken advantage of, to have someone else's life sort of vomit all over our own. For example, and think about how this works with something like forgiveness, for instance. Lewis Smedes writes that there are two things forgiveness does not always require. First, forgiveness does not always require reunion. And you can forgive someone, but that does not necessarily mean you welcome them back into your most sacred, vulnerable group of friends and family. And there's a reason. When a person wrongs us, it's, it's not just about working through the anger or resentment that we have. It's also about whether or not they are willing to address the wrong that has been done. Now, for example, during the conflict in, in, in South Africa over apartheid, Bishop Desmond Tutu gave a speech titled, We Forgive You. And in that speech, he drew a line between forgiveness and reunion. And he, and he gave this analogy, and here's what he said. If I have stolen your pen, I can't really be contrite when I say, please forgive me, if at the same time, I keep your pen. If I'm truly repentant, then I will demonstrate this genuine repentance by returning your pen. You, you see his point? I forgive you for, say, stealing from me, and my forgiveness does not depend on you doing or saying anything or promising anything. You can even continue on as a professional pen thief if you want. But my forgiveness uh, to also become a relational reunion, some sign of restitution needs to be made. And I need to be confident that you won't steal from me again. Because I can forgive you, but I ain't leaving you alone with my pants. You know what I'm saying? I must, I must draw a boundary. And I'm using the, I, I know I'm using the most innocuous, silly example of a pen, knowing that the issues are so much bigger. Issues of abuse, physical, emotional, sexual, where the journey to forgiveness is just incredibly wrought and difficult. And even if you can, even if you can get there by God's grace, it doesn't necessarily mean you leave your kids with this person. It doesn't mean you can have them in your house. Does, does that make sense? 
Smeeds draws this line between forgiveness and reunion in this way, and here's what he says. It takes one person to forgive. It takes two to be reunited. And, and forgiving happens inside the wounded person, but reunion happens when there's a relationship between people. Do you know you can forgive a person who's actually never said sorry? You can do that. Do you know you can actually forgive someone who's not alive anymore? You can do that. We just cannot be truly relationally reunited unless they are honestly sorry. We, we can forgive even if we don't trust the person who wronged us not to wrong us again, but reunion can only happen if we can believe the person who wronged us won't wrong us again. Okay, forgiving has no strings attached. Reunion actually has several strings attached. And that's okay, those are boundaries. So you can love someone, forgive them for wrongs they have done, but they still have boundaries because they continue to be a disruptor, a bomb thrower. And, and that is precisely what the Bible advises. The, listen to these words from the New Testament, the book of 2 Timothy. There are people who will be unloving and, for, and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and have no interest in what is good. They will betray their friends to be reckless. You must stay away from people like that. So, so being loving and forgiving isn't about opening yourself up to more abuse. It isn't about tolerating repeat behaviors. It's not about inviting them to get close enough to hurt you again. There are, there are limits to forgiveness. No, I, I'm sorry, there are no limits to forgiveness, but there are limits to abuse. Cloud and, and Townsend put it this way, forgiveness is about the past. Reconciliation and boundaries are about the future. Boundaries guard you until the person who wronged you has really changed and they can be trusted again. So if someone is in denial or just giving lip service to all the change in their life, you know, we need to keep up our boundaries even though we have forgiven them. So let's, let's bring this around to Christmas. This, this may mean that you don't invite some people or that they can't stay in the house with you but need to find a hotel, or, or they can't be alone with your children, or they can't do drugs when they're with you, or, you know, Christmas is not a free ticket for someone who is abusive, unsafe, harmful, destructive, to enter into your home and engage with your family. People who don't abide by your family values and rules. Now, we have to be careful with this. The temptation is to write those people off and, and uh, uh, write them off over minor infractions, you know? Um, minor infractions, right? It's because you might be confusing them with people that you're allergic to or people who are trolls, but we're not talking about those people. We're talking about those who are true disruptors, bomb throwers. Boundaries are not put into place because you find them obnoxious. Boundaries are put into place when their behavior simply cannot be tolerated. Behavior that is harmful, abusive, 
illegal. And the Bible is very clear that we are to say no when someone attempts to inflict their sin dysfunction on our lives. I'm looking at a couple right now who have put such great boundaries in their life, and I'm just so proud of them. They, uh, they've just had to become adept at boundaries in their life. And so draw the lines. Say, I'm willing to go to their house, but not spend the night. I'm willing to have them visit, but if they become disruptive or abusive, that ends the visit. I'm not willing to have them interfere with the way we raise children or our children's innocence. Everyone's boundaries will be different, but when you have a bomb thrower, you, you gotta have them. I'm, I'm gonna wrap up now, but before I do, uh, haven't these poor living illustrations been great sports? Will you give it up for them? Thank you, guys. Thank you. Um, yeah, you're welcome to go. Wally hasn't had that much hair since 1997, and so he's... It's like 87. <laughs> Shoot, there's that troll tendency again. I'm so sorry. Preach to yourself, Jonathan. I know this is... Um, this is heavy for Christmas. I've tried, to, I've tried to take a serious subject and add a bit of levity. But for some of you this morning, this, this is no joke. And uh, I'm sorry if this is what your family portrait looks like. Some of you are actually dreading getting together with certain people this season. And it, it seems to me that this is really important to talk about because keeping Christ in Christmas is important, and it starts by keeping Christ in us. And, and God wants to give you wisdom and strength. And where it depends on you, the Bible says, um, that you would live at peace with everybody. But sometimes, despite all our best efforts and intentions, it doesn't depend on you there are those who are going to spoil gatherings. And so this is important. And, and we would just want to pray for you this morning. I'd like to invite my friend Kelly Garby to the stage. Not only is um, Kelly the right choice to pray from a professional expertise point of view, as a licensed therapist, she's, she is helping people navigate this kind of stuff all the time. She's had to personally navigate some of this stuff, I know. She loves, just from a personal point of view, she just loves seeing people walk in relational health and freedom. And lastly, she is just keenly aware that there is a spiritual component to all of this, that there is a, there's an enemy who wants to cause offense and disunity. And she, I know she wants to see people set free from that spiritual attack that is inherent in some of us. And so, Kelly, whatever you want us to do, to stand, to sit, whatever, I just hand it over to you. Thanks. Do you turn this on? Oh, let me just... I think we're good. Check, one, two. Yeah, I can hear it now. Yep. Thanks. just want to honor our pastor and his beautiful wife. They serve us week over week, you know, through every calendar year. And uh, Jonathan showed his creativity today to invite some people up and to, you know, show pieces of videos and 
we're, we're really blessed to have a leader in our midst who cares about our spiritual well-being and also sometimes makes it fun and funny. And Vicki, you are a blessing to our church body. You know, she just faithfully serves. She worships the Lord throughout the week and asks the Lord what songs we should sing corporately, right? And then leads us in worship to the King. And I was thinking about if I was to add one more stool up here, I would add Jesus because Jesus is going with us, right? Into every, every event, every family gathering, every place that we go, right? And um, yeah, so I crafted a bit of a weird prayer. I guess I'm just asking you to listen, open your heart, ask the Lord what part of this prayer is for you. Ask the Lord what part of this prayer he wants to speak into your life. And I'm going to trust the mystery of the Lord to speak to you. I'm going to trust that God is just going to speak to you. And maybe even just before I pray, <laughs> when we were worshiping and you sang that amazing song earlier, I had this picture, and I often actually see this. I actually get these pictures, this in my imagination, and I see like, like a vision of the Lord walking through the church. And he's walking through all of the pews, and he's helping some people up, and he's offering other people rest. And he's offering some people healing. Like, it's amazing to me. And I saw this picture of this massive buffet. But, you know, like a clean, sparkly, great buffet. And, uh, <laughs> and I felt like the Lord saying, take what you need. Take what you need. Like, I am the most generous, loving Father. And God calls himself Father. And I know in a room this size, not everybody's had a great dad. Not every dad has represented what Jesus Christ is like as a father. So he's a father. He's a friend. He offers us salvation. And there's this massive buffet available, right? So the Lord says, taste and see that I am good. Let me be your healer. Let me bring peace into your heart. You can't control your whole family function, but the Lord can give you peace. So let me just pray this over you and we'll just see what happens. So Jesus, I thank you that you've set the sun and the moon in place. And you said to the waves, stop here. And you created a week and a day and you boundaried it with light and dark. And God, we acknowledge that you are a mystery. And we long to know you and understand your plan and your will for our lives and our relationships. You place us in families and friendships and communities. And we confess that there are times that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. And we have not always loved you with our whole heart and soul. And we've not always loved our neighbors. And we've not always loved ourselves. Help us recognize sorrow for the times that we've done wrong. And help us to recognize the good that sometimes even we have left undone in our families. And Jesus, you are full of compassion. And you're gracious. And you love us. And you're slow to anger. And you're you are plenty in mercy. And with you, there is forgiveness for us. And I pray that this Advent and Christmas season, we would respond to the gentle nudges of the Holy Spirit within us. Help us at times to say no to ourselves so we can say yes to the Holy Spirit, who's ready and willing to work in us. Jesus, you are fully God and fully human. And it's hard to grasp that. You faced hurt, rejection, anger, temptation. 
You were weary. You were thirsty. You are fully God and fully human. And you understand our humanity. You understand the situations we walk into. You understand our families. And Jesus, I believe that you care more about our relationships than we even do. And would you and could you surprise us this Christmas season? Could you surprise us with kindness, with affirmation from those whom we often expect difficulty? (laughs) Could you surprise us with kindness, with affirmation, with validation? And I don't mean like we need to walk into things holding our breath. I mean, we walk into situations trusting you, that you affirm us, you love us, you validate us. And might we also be surprised to receive goodness from those we often receive difficulty from. You can do that. And if we don't believe, God, that you care about our friendships and our families, we might miss out on your most excellent provision, because you do. I just thank you that you're the light of the world and you inhabit us. You live in us. We bring Jesus in our limited way into every situation that we walk into. Lord, please give us the courage to have healthy souls. Please make us brave to have silence. Please make us brave to have awkward conversations. Please give us grace to overlook when that's what's needed too. And when we're in difficult situations, please give us your wisdom and discernment. We need you, God. We know that you love families. We know that you love family life. Family life demonstrates our need for you. We need you. And I love this about you, God. You hold us in our, you hold us in your mind and you invite us to hold you in our mind and in our heart make us a people who have you on our mind help us not to judge our family help us not to criticize our family and I don't even mean when I'm praying that Jesus that people would accept all kinds of awful and difficult behavior from loved ones but help us to be right with you God as far as it's possible with us Help us to work out our approach to people and to circumstances. Help us to recognize unsafe boundaries and heal us from past boundary breakdowns. We surrender our hurt and we receive your healing. We surrender our own failures with people and we receive your forgiveness. Help us to trust you. You designed us to be in community with family and friends, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, You live in community. You live in perfect peace. And you modeled it, not as an exception, not as an impossibility, but as a possibility. So we trust you that you said soil, living among people, is good for us. Even, oh, although at times it feels so difficult and it feels so stressful, it's part of your plan for our lives. People need people, even though we grade on each other even though we stress each other out and sometimes even have this capacity, this sinful capacity to hurt each other. So help us to slow down, help us to rest, and give you our families and give you our gatherings. What if we gave you, Holy Spirit, 
time and space to speak to us about our needs, our hopes, and our hurts. Lord, let this be this Christmas season. Let this be the perfect time to receive a prophetic word over our lives from the living God about our very real lives. This is why you came after all, to be with us, to be Emmanuel, God with us, and to to destroy the work of the enemy and to transform us into a people created in your likeness. Thank you, God, for the privilege of praying for your people. Thank you, Lord, that we're co-learners and co-journers together. There's no one an expert. Lord, we're an all-saints army created in the image of you, Lord. Help us to be more like your son, Jesus. And bless your people, Lord. Bless your people, God, with peace like Matt talked about this morning. Lord, let our homes and our hearts be marked by peace. Though we walk into enemy territory, though we walk among people with unclean lips, and though we sometimes have unclean lips ourselves, Lord, let us be marked by people with hope and joy and peace and patience because it's your transforming work. Like We don't have to strive. It's your work in us. And help us to just enjoy the ordinary days. Help us to just soak in to the regular, the ordinary. You created our life, our very real lives, and we surrender them to you, Jesus. And we just thank you, God, this opportunity to be together, this opportunity to have our hearts and our ears open to what the Spirit might be saying. So, Lord, I just pray that you would sift my great big long prayer <laughs> and just those things that you want to last and grow would be the things that, that land for people. And then the other stuff, Lord, just blow it away by the wind of your Spirit. We trust you, God, and we're grateful to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.